0: Hello, and welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined by Dr. Tracy Brower. Dr. Tracy Brower, PhD, is a sociologist and the author of Bring Work to Life by Bringing Life to Work, as well as her most recent book, which we'll be talking about today. She is a contributor to Forbes and Fast Company and principal at Steelcase. And her most recent book is The Secrets to Happiness at Work. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for our
0: conversation
1: and really, really glad to be here.
0: Well, I was getting ready to record this and I um, told my husband what we were talking about. And he said, that's a myth or a fallacy. And I know that it's not from my personal experience, um, but I would really love to have a, a conversation about how you can how you can evaluate your work life and and add to it from your personal experiences. I think it's so important for so many of the people I work with and just knowing my personal networks. So thank you for doing the hard work on this topic. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it's so important. And I think we have, you know, a lot of us have this myth that work is drudgery or, you know, work is not so wonderful. And I think work can be part of a full life. It was interesting. I was having a conversation with someone recently and we were talking about emerging from the pandemic and they said, yeah, but can you be happy in such dire circumstances and, you know, the difficulties we've been through? And absolutely, it's it's going through hard times can actually be origin for a lot of happiness. So looking forward to our conversation.
0: I so agree. I think that difficult times force you to evaluate and they also can um, bring to the surface things that do bring you satisfaction and joy and, and filter things. They just shake things up and, and certain things are left that really stand out. Um, in order to get the conversation started though, I'd love to back up and just hear um, how you became an author and the you know tell me a little more about the work that you do and what brought you to this point. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, it's really funny. I've always wanted to be an author. Like, you know how when you're a little girl, little boy, you know, little person, you're thinking about what you want to do. And I always wanted to be an author. And I think I started writing most in earnest in the early 2000s. And then um, I finished my PhD and I had done some articles and blog posts and things. And I thought, well, I just did my dissertation. Maybe I could turn it into a book. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It should be easy. It's great reading material, right? It's exactly the same as what you want to pick up in target.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right. Uh, And that was, that was not so much the case, but yeah, I love to write. It's actually interesting because it's what I do on the weekends. It's sort of like my weekend therapy. And so it really is along the lines of that happiness piece, like do what you love, you know?
0: I so agree. And there's so much creativity that comes with the thinking process of work that you probably now have found an outlet for. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think
1: I always love to say that whatever work is for you, it's a great opportunity to make a contribution, to learn about yourself, to, you know, contribute, not just to your employer or your own kind of pocketbook, but also to the community and to the society that you're part of. Like, work is just a really important thing that we do as a way to express our talents and really achieve happiness through the expression of those talents.
0: Well, work is such a big part of so many of our lives. And I, you really wrote a how-to book. So you are telling us a lot of research and, and getting into the psychology of work, I think, and the psychology of just self. Um, but I'd love to dive in and um, start with, you, you spend a lot of time talking about joy and how you deserve joy at work. Can you tell me a little more about that concept, which may seem foreign to some people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love talking to Melissa Joy about joy. I mean, it's just, I think it's so interesting. It's all about our framing, right? And it's a level set. Like when you walked into a room, you automatically get a level set from your last name, right? Um, But we all can get that level set. We all can get that framing. And the thing that I really think is so important is that we can... Choose and create the conditions for our happiness. We don't have to wait for, you know, happiness to come at us on a silver platter. All the conditions don't have to be perfect. And happiness will ebb and flow. It's not always, you know, butterflies and lollipops. We will have ups and downs and you can have a joyful happy, contented life, even if you have those ups and downs and actually because of those ups and downs. So joy and happiness are things that we can kind of deeply feel and that we can frame our thinking toward and that we have so much empowerment to affect for ourselves and the opportunity to influence for others. So I just think it's we have to remind ourselves about that and and remind ourselves that, you know, happiness ebbs and flows. And I think it's a, a myth that we always have to be happy or that we always have to do just the right things or make just the right choices to be happy. All of happiness can come in multiple ways.
0: I think so many times people look externally to try to identify happiness. They see what other people are experiencing and say, I want some of that. And we are not taught to get internal to evaluate our happiness. I see that in the financial realm where, you know, there are things that people are seeking that maybe it's keeping up with the Joneses and that may may not bring you personal satisfaction and contentment Um, contentment is something I really think about a lot in the financial realm. So I know that um, just saying, okay, you can be joyful. That is not enough. What are some of the um, tools that you can use to seek joy or, or get closer to what you're, you're looking for?
1: Yeah. I love your point. A couple of things about that. One is um, there's something called happiness inflation. Typically it's (laughs) adaptation. But the idea is that, you know, in our Western society, we tend to get a certain level of happiness and then we want more and we want more and we want more. But as I said, it ebbs and flows and it's actually less helpful to think about more, more, more. And happiness is actually negatively correlated with materialism. The more you experience materialism, the less happy you will be. And the other thing that's really important to know is that you, if you pursue happiness, you're actually less likely to achieve it as well. Um, it's like, you know, beach sand through your, through your fingers, right. As long as we're in the summertime months right now, um, The reason is that when you're pursuing happiness as its own goal or joy as its own goal, you're reminding yourself that you don't have it today, that you don't have enough today, and you're focusing very much on yourself, which tends to reduce kind of peripheral vision and context and a sense of the whole, which is much more about happiness. So the ways to accomplish happiness are being um, super grateful. Gratitude is extraordinarily correlated with happiness as we look at scientific studies. The other thing that's extraordinarily correlated with happiness is generosity. When we are generous to others, um, that is really, really helpful. Another thing that's correlated with happiness is kind of keeping focus on the big picture and the, you know, kind of your why. Your why can be Tiny and ordinary and every day. It doesn't have to be a high pressure why, but keeping focus on kind of um, how am I contributing to others? And what are the reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing?
0: What's important to me? Oh my gosh. I there's so many things to think about. And the three things that you just said: being grateful is something that is important in financial work as well. It it, it helps set perspective. It's an extraordinary tool. Um, when you think about gener- generosity and gratitude, to teach children about money, um, teaching charitable, um, you know, uh, inclinations ha- can have a powerful kind of multiplier effect about responsibility with money. And then that there's so many times in your book where you talk about focus and perhaps perspective or the length of time that you're focusing on that I thought was just such a good trigger for, you know, are you in the moment of just frustrated with this next meeting or are you thinking about the purpose and the why? So how do we put those three things to work, um, not just in general, but into the workplace? What, What do you recommend doing?
1: Yeah, I think those are great questions. One thing that I was just learning recently, there's this interesting um, element called linguistic determinism. And linguistic determinism is the words that you use influence the way that you think and the way that you behave. And there was an interesting study done on different um, languages And in the English language, we tend to separate, we use a lot of words to describe tense, future tense, future imperfect tense, past tense, you know, et cetera. And that tends to separate the present from the future. There are other languages, um, especially um, uh, Eastern languages, where there is less emphasis on tense. And the thing that's really interesting is they found that people in though, who use those languages as their first language tend to save more money, tend to be more financially astute, and tend to plan for the future more effectively. Isn't that interesting? Because there's this m- more of a um, match between the present and the future. And the future doesn't feel like something later that I don't have to worry about right now. It's something that I'm investing for now. So anyway, I just think that that from a financial standpoint is interesting.
0: I love it that so many times when we're doing work, we're both um, trying to take care of the current self as well as prepare and um, take care of the future self. And so many times in our society, well, some people are overly focused on today and some people really have a scarcity mentality where they never feel like they'll have enough and they can't give themselves the experiences or what they need today because they're so worried about their future self. So that balance between where you have that longer term state of being is, is a critical and, and, and super terrific skill.
1: Yeah. You know, the other thing that you were asking about is like, how do we get really specific about work? And I think this is where it's really interesting to think about work and happiness and career growth and kind of financial orientation, how those intersect. One of the things that we know is that when people are happier, they tend to set bigger goals and they tend to do more stretch learning that tends to contribute to more career growth and more financial growth and all of that good stuff. The opposite is also true. When people are learning and challenged, they tend to experience more happiness and more fulfillment at work. So if we just get really pragmatic, I think one of the things we can do is set um, stretch goals, set goals that are meaningful to us, but then also seek to learn to do new things, seek to stretch Um, It's interesting because it's sort of like the idea of flow. You know, you get into flow when you're working so hard on a new challenge. And a lot of times your best fulfillment at work doesn't come from doing the thing that you've done a thousand times before and your brain is kind of on autopilot. The the way that you get more fulfillment is actually by trying, stretching, sweating, both literally or figuratively, solving a problem, struggling through it, and then being reminded of your capability and being reminded of your accomplishment on the other side of it. So just really pragmatically thinking about your goals, thinking about your learning, thinking about stretching can be really good ideas in the workplace.
0: I found during the pandemic, I lost some of that flow because I often would, um, I did a lot of, you know, client meetings and work, but then there would be breaks where I would attend a professional conferences and have some deep thought and, you know, that would stretch to say, oh, I need to focus on this or why am I not doing that? And when we got to the pandemic, there was plenty of time for work all the time. I have, you know, work in a role that, um, is easily converted to remote work, but, I didn't have that ideating time and that, is, and that was seemed, felt important to my flow. So, um, I, I love how you talk about, um, expanding boundaries and, and making sure that you have space, um, green, green space, fresh air, um, and, you know, time for yourself.
1: Yes, absolutely. We need those neurologically and we need variety. We need stimulation, right? And that's one of the things our worlds have gotten really small and our worlds are expanding again. So that has to do with happiness, but I love your point. Like I like, it's, it's the interstitial moments. It's the moments in between. Those are critical moments for reflection. And, and the more that we have those, the more we can kind of be in tune with our own thinking, and that tends to also contribute toward happiness. In fact, when we're happy, we tend to make better decisions. And I think it's partly if we're able to carve out that space to reflect and think again. I think the other thing, just super pragmatically in terms of our happiness at work, is building really strong relationships, building really strong social capital. And that helps us in terms of our career growth, in terms of our you know financial growth, When people are happier, they tend to be more likable. Isn't that interesting? You think about it, right? Like you go to a restaurant and you have a server who loves what they do and they're positive and optimistic and you love interacting with that person. Or you go to the dry cleaner and you're interacting with somebody who's positive and optimistic those people are very magnetic. So you tend to be more likable if you're happier, more magnetic, and that's really good from a career standpoint. It's also really smart to build really strong bonds with people at work because a primary way that we um, feel levels of happiness is through feeling levels of connectivity, of community, of belonging with other people. So at work, it's interesting. I like to say that work is fundamentally social. Even if you're an introvert, you may need, you know, less social time than extroverts, but work is a really primary way that we get that sense of social identity, that sense of belonging, that sense of community, that sense of being part of something that's shared.
0: Well, in many cases too, in work life, that might be your best introduction to people Other than yourself, right? Like, because your, our communities may be very static, um, you know, your neighborhood and things like that. So it gives you that variety as well. And it gives you an opportunity to be, to be generous, right. With other people, um, which goes back to one of your kind of fundamentals of joy.
1: Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's interesting too. I think that um I think the social identity piece is interesting. We belonging doesn't come from just being with other people. It generally comes, neurologically speaking, from feeling a sense of social identity, that shared mutual um goal, that shared mutual purpose. Um, and that actually grew up in the industrial revolution. Like people originally got their sense of social identity from, you know, their their home and their family, and they were churning butter together and harvesting fields together. And then as people started to move into cities, they started to feel a sense of camaraderie. I'm a baker and we're bakers together baking, or I'm, you know, putting horseshoes on horses and we're, we're doing that work together. And so I think that sense of who I am, of how i'm important of how i'm unique connected to the community are so important for happiness as well
0: I love it so i now i wonder though because some people must be listening to us saying that's great Melissa and tracy you may think this is possible but in the current position i am in it is not going to work out for me i you know like and i'm not changing jobs i'm not looking around if you feel disaffected dissatisfied, you know, there, there's no possibility of happiness at work. What, um, what could change someone's mind or what, what might you ask them? What exercises might you ask them to kind of go through?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And we know that um, happiness is based on genetics. There is a genetic component. Happiness is based on circumstances. There's absolutely a circumstantial component. And the third component is choice. So you might say, oh, I wasn't blessed with great, happy genetics, and I'm in really tough circumstances, but you still have a level of choice. And the three things that you can do as you think about being, and and we can all be in situations where we can't just kind of go do something different, right? we at all kinds of contextual constraints and that's super fair. Um, One thing you can do is think differently, change your frame, right? Like I love the, I love the saying, change your thinking, change your life, right? There are so many examples of people who've gone through really, really hard times and they've been able to change their frame of mind. And there is something called post-traumatic growth in which we grow through really difficult situations. So one is to kind of change your thinking. Another is to influence the circumstances that you're in. You can do that even in small ways. Sociologically speaking, the number one way that people learn is through watching other people, even if we're not consciously aware of it. So you can influence, even if you're just modeling optimism, even if you're just modeling, you know, getting through the day um, effectively, even if you're modeling good decision-making or respect for others, those things can influence your situation. And there's a there's one I like to think about, kind of a two-by-two model, um, This one isn't in the book, but it's kind of like, how tough is your situation on one of the axes of the model? And on the other axes, how much influence do you have? I just think it's a helpful way to think about it. Like if it's a huge issue, but you've got a lot of influence or even a little bit of influence, it might be an opportunity to stay and try to, you know, do your best to influence or maybe it's a huge issue, and you feel like you don't have any influence, then you might want to kind of reevaluate and reassess. So one way to address it is change your thinking. Another is to really consider your influence, even in small ways. And the third is to really think about opting out. And I know sometimes we can't opt out, but that is kind of the third element where you can just really say to yourself, gosh, are there other choices I could make um, that may be really disruptive, but really also constructive in terms of how it takes me forward
0: Sometimes we don't have a choice but to opt out and many people, you know, will make changes over, over the years, whether it's, it, it's from their, they instigate it or it's external influences. When you do change um, either jobs or careers, what are some suggestions that you have for success and kind of setting the tables the right way for that yeah. happiness?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing is to remember there's no perfect choice. You know, like, I think we tend to think if I choose the right job, I'll always be happy every day, every minute, right? But we know every job has things that you like and things that you don't. Or if I choose the right partner, I'll be perfectly happy all the time. But if we're honest, you know, sometimes our partners or even really good friends can have annoying, you know, or characteristics, So I think one is to remember there's no perfect choice. You're choosing as close as you can get to an alignment with with what you love. Um, And in the book, I have a little model about what do you love to do in your work? What do you have to do in your work? Um, You want as much overlap between those as possible. So that's one. I think another one is really to think about um, the culture of the employer. You know, like culture match is so important. My perfect organization might be completely different than your perfect organization. So find that culture match. I think you want to really think about the people that you meet and the colleagues that you're with. If you're working with people who are respectful, with whom you can be yourself and bring your whole self to work, um, where you see the opportunity to learn from them. Them and grow with them and enjoy them. Again, you're not going to you know, love every single colleague that you're with, but if you have a generally constructive, good set of relationships, I think that's another one as well. And I think that um, another one is to think about your job today and your career path. One of the things we know about burnout, a characteristic of burnout is feeling like you're, there's no place else to go, feeling stymied, And so you may be in a job that you love or don't love, but if you believe that you can go to another role or another or another, that can really be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So, you know, um, I, I think thinking about not just your immediate job, but your role and your opportunity to contribute over time are really good criteria to consider.
0: I love that. And it's a good reminder too for um, people who are just entering the workforce or a new job that your first day is not, a. it's a start. It's it's a starting point for something that is going to evolve over time. It's not, you, you just haven't arrived at your ultimate destination. Um, well, I could talk all day about this and I wanna leave a moment for you to talk a little bit about your book and where people can find it. But before we do, I just wanna remind people that- your decisions about about and around your work are so impactful to your financial life. I often tell people that one of the biggest assets on their balance sheet is not listed. It's their ability to earn money, which I call their your human capital. So, if you are feeling um disaffected, if you just haven't had this conversation with yourself, if you if your experiences at work don't ha- involve your own personal choice, I think that's a choice. And Tracy, I think that the um, what you write about and do is is really a way to start to unpack um, some of your your uh, your opportunity to have more control and influence over your experiences. So thanks for doing that, and I'd really recommend your book. And speaking of your book, where can we find it and any other work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that uh, shout out and that endorsement. It means a lot to me. And I agree, it's so much a part of your human capital, a part of your personal capital, your own empowerment and your own choices. Um, The book is uh, available at lots and lots of um, sellers, Amazon, Amazon. Porchlight Book Company, Barnes & Noble, Target. Um, you can follow me on tracybrower.com. You can follow my articles on forbes.com. Um, and so, oh, and on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us. I loved this conversation and, um, you know, keep me posted because as you continue to do this work, I think there's other discussions we can have. Your your work life is so important and um, what a perfect fit for, for our listeners. So thanks again, Tracy.
1: Thank you. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com
0: or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.